in love, sex, and lasting relationships. Um, just before we do that, uh, I, I, I love the songs and I love the image of uh, somebody getting in a barrel going across Niagara Falls. Um, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Can I ask today, uh, are you in the barrel? You know what I mean by that? Uh, placing your life upon the words of Christ and his teaching. Easy to cheer from the sidelines. Yeah, I believe you can do it. Another thing to live it and root your life in the word of God and the, the teaching of, of Christ, this book inspired by the spirit of Jesus himself. Um, I mean, if you, had to, if you had to kind of choose a number, one being, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, I trust him but not too much, and 10, like I'm, I'm in both feet, I'm there, I'm doing what he calls me to do, I'm living the life. What number would you choose? And whatever the number is, I hope we're moving from lower to higher. <laughs> um, and I hope uh, that as we've sung, to learn to trust in Jesus. One of the things that I just love is sitting with older people who have spent a lifetime learning to really trust what Jesus says. And you sit there with them, and you just know they're in the wheelbarrow. Like, they're just in because they have had proof to them time and time and time again that Jesus is entirely trustworthy and that his word leads to life and blessing and goodness and joy. And uh, I hope you're on the track. I hope you're moving in that way. I hope you're, you're, you're willing to step out and to, you know, really take Christ at his word. That's, that's, that's an awesome, awesome place to be. And I hope if you're not there, you're heading there in a pretty direct fashion. Well, I have been talking about love, sex, and lasting relationships in recent weeks, and, you know, I, I am struck repeatedly as I think, as I prepare, as I pray that, you know, in, in this world of ours, the kind of things that I've been saying, which come straight out of the Bible, out of what we believe the mind of God, are, you know, to many people um, likely crazy, if not actually bizarre. You know, wait till marriage before uh, a sexuality, restrain that natural impulse, learn self-control, all these sorts of things. People must uh, potentially, maybe even some of you, even some of the people of Jesus profoundly impacted by culture might think it also. Um, but then I also thought this week, what if an alien came from Mars? We'll carry on with the theme today. And just kind of landed on planet Earth and watched how the world does love and sex and not lasting relationships. <laughs> You know, where they, where, where, where they enter into um, relationships and pretty quickly get very physically active, and then there's a breakup, and there's the hurt, there's the wound, and then there's another relationship, and another breakup, and a hurt and a, 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 hurt and a wound, and then ultimately they get to this marriage relationship, but there's real struggle with intimacy, and a lot of divorce happens because, you know, it's hard to bond when you've kind of... Who would the alien think was kind of bizarre? I wonder if the alien would kind of think the world is bizarre because it's just not working really well. And, you know, the little guy from Mars would probably sit back and think, somebody ought to tell them a different way. <laughs> Anybody know any other ideas that might work? Well, essentially what's being said is God has a different way. God has a, an entirely different way to consider this whole question. You know, the world says, you know, express yourself and do what feels good and, and satisfy your natural impulses and instincts. And the Bible says self-denial is the way to life. Self-control is a is a virtue. It's something that God enables us to do when we are filled with His Spirit. Is that there's a, this, this, this other reality that we can enter into if we wish. 
So what we're going to do today is to step into a few more verses from Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look at some specific things about what God uh, calls us, uh, uh, directs us in, how God wants to speak into our lives. So let's read uh, Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these things are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or, of course, joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, that's pretty specific, isn't it? (laughs) That's just kind of placing everything on the table. And again, before we take apart some of the, the words and the meanings that are here, I want to reinforce the idea this comes from a God who absolutely loves you. That is a life-changing dynamic when people can truly embrace it uh, and, and fully accept it. But God loves you, and as he speaks these things into your life today from his word, understand he wants the absolute best for you. He wants a Genesis 2 marriage of openness and vulnerability and love and, and intimate sexuality, and as opposed to a Genesis 3 marriage of conflict, fear, and division. And if you want to go back to our website and listen to the sermon two weeks ago, that gets unpacked for you there. But he wants the fantastic relationship that you might have with another human being. Um, and he comes along and he gives us Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be imitators of God, and, and just as Christ loved us and gave himself, live sacrificially and walk in love, all these things we've talked about already, that's the positive side in a sense. And then he comes along with these verses, and the most important verse in thir- in, in, word in verse 3 is the first one, but among you, but among you, there must not even be a hint of and we'll talk about what those things actually are. But when, he, when, when Paul, the author of this book, gives us this word, but, he's, he's highlighting the difference of what he has just said compared to what's about to come. He said, everything I'm about to describe to you is entirely different. It's the opposite of what I've just described. Be imitators of God, walk in love, live a life of sacrificial love just like Jesus did as he went to the cross. And he said, instead of that, these things you know, are possibilities for your life, but you, you can't go there. They're just the opposite of what I've just described. So he's saying, on, on the one hand, these are incompatible for you who are in Jesus, and they are the opposite of what you have been called to. Now, what specifically are these things? The first, first thing he says is, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. What is that? What's he speaking to? The Greek word here in the original, which lies behind this phrase immorality, is porneo. It is, it is a word from which we get the English word pornography. All right? Um, and and it, what it really refers to is any sexual activity outside the permanent relationship of marriage, as defined by God. It's the idea of fulfilling our sexual appetite with a focus on our own pleasure versus a deep concern and love for the other. You know, instead of walking in love, what porneo is, the sexual immorality, is walking in self-love, self-satisfaction, self-benefit. And it covers the gamut of all sexual activity. Promiscuity, the Bible speaks to, and that's sex prior to marriage. Adultery, which is having sex with somebody else other than your partner when you are married. Homosexual activity, everything that violates God's prescription for loving and lasting relationships. And Paul just says, steer away from that. Don't even go close to that. So sexual immorality, and then it talks about any kind of impurity. What's impurity? Um, Essentially, the concept is this. It is sex, sexual activity at someone else's expense. It's sexual activity where it costs somebody else for what you have been engaged in. 
It's defrauding somebody by taking from them something that is not yours to take. All right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 7. It's sort of a parallel passage, and it unpacks this a little bit. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, made holy, essentially, that you should avoid sexual immorality, same phrase, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Think about that, holiness. Not in passion, passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. I'm going to keep going. Oh, here we go. And in this manner, no one should wrong his brother or sister or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told, told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure. There it is. But to live a holy life. See, my friends... I want to tell you this right up front. We're called to holiness in our sexual lives. Holiness. Um, to be impure is to withhold respect and, uh, or, a, or, or dignity from a person, and that is unholy. To use people to bring, if you would, the pollutant of using somebody for your own self-benefit and gratification, it is unholy. It is impure. And then it goes on to say in, in uh, verse 3 of, of Ephesians chapter 5, not only sexual immorality and impurity, it also calls us to the idea of uh, not being greedy. Can we have 5-3 up again, guys? Here it comes. There he is. Or of greed. Now, a lot of people look at that phrase and they immediately think greedy for money. That's not the context here. This is being greedy sexually. This is the idea of, of, of people who um, see other people as objects to possess and something to be taken, to have as our own, and we want more, and we want more, and we want more of it, and it's never enough. You see the, the picture that's being painted? And Paul's just saying, saying, don't go there. These things, these things are not what are appropriate for you. Basic idea, people of Jesus, we have to refuse to take, exploit, cheapen, and defraud as opposed to giving true love in, an, in the authentic, godly relationship of marriage. You know? To do otherwise is to steal away what God has for somebody in that special relationship that he has before them. And God just says no to this. He's saying, stay away from pseudo-intimacy <laughs> so that you might know the real deal when that relationship comes. See, there are things which build and enable loving, lasting relationships, and there are some things which destroy. And Paul has just defined them for us in these four verses. Walk in love. Imitate God. Be self-sacrificing, even to the point of death like Jesus. Stay away from immorality, impurity, and indeed greed. You know, I want to suggest to you today that the, the bottom line here is that Paul is providing for us a pretty high standard of holiness. He's calling us to something radically different and significant for us. You know, Jesus buys into this thinking entirely. Matthew 5, 27 and 28 say this. You have heard it said, that it was said, do not commit adultery. And that's what the people who, who are surrounding him, listening to his teaching, have to say. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Talk about raising the standard, huh? All the other folks are standing around, well, I haven't committed adultery with anybody. But Jesus said, yeah, but what about your heart? And he literally says, if you lust after a woman, or women lust after a man, it's in his mind, in the mind of God, the same thing is actually committing the act. Now, let me tell you, in this culture, that is a dramatic statement. 
Because in this culture, lust is celebrated and encouraged. See, I'm painting a picture for you. I'm trying to draw out a contrast, but how remarkably different the desire and the will and the way of God is for those people who are willing to walk in it. He says, don't even let lust invade your heart. And Jesus takes these things that, and he applies them uh, to thought life, uh, not just to action and to, to motivation such as Paul has. But then Paul, back to Ephesians chapter 5, goes even further in verse 4, and he talks about our speech. Yeah, even our speech, how we talk. He says this, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, of course, joking, which are, again, out of place, but rather thanksgiving. What's obscenity? It's, it's this idea that, um, you know, that, that essentially, um, well, at the, at the core of this word in the original language is the idea of shame. Don't say things that are shameful. Don't say things that are crude or disrespectful. And, 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 and don't speak in such a fashion that, 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 that you're doing it without regard to the people who are hearing you speak. Don't even talk about it. Foolish talk is like silliness. <laughs> you know, kind of comments that, that are, are not thought through. There's no forethought in them. And they end up, you know, uh, expressing thoughts that have no dignity or... Or, or, or a sense of reverence or holiness to them. Then, of course, joking, the idea of quickly turning a phrase. You know, it's, it's, it's creating sexual innuendo kind of on the moment. That's the idea here. You know, you look at the late-night talk shows, you're going to get that a lot, off-color jokes and so on. What God's saying is this, this just isn't for you. There's no love in it. It's not Jesus-like. You understand that? And what we're, what we're being called to in all of this is what's, Referred to as sexual purity. Sexual purity. In body and in mind and in heart and in speech. We're to live without the pollutants that can come. We're to live free of sin. You know, a verse that captures this for me is 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. I read this a long time ago as a young guy and it was quite striking. Do not rebuke an older man harshly. Uh, This is... uh, Paul, refer, you know, speaking into Timothy's life and into our life, telling about how to treat various peoples in various ways in a good and holy fashion. But do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. Young man Timothy, treat younger women as if they were your sister with absolute, what? Purity. No contamination, no sin. Now, when a younger man is to treat a younger woman as a sister, that by definition, by definition means in an asexual, non-sexual fashion. You know, you talk about, you know, to, 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 to young, young boys about kissing their sister, they go, oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, that's gross. That's, a, that's an expression of this very thing. To be absolutely pure in your relationship with younger women, treat them in a non-sexual fashion. Paul writes Timothy. Now, again, I know this sounds bizarre to a lot of people, and, and maybe even to a lot of us in the church who have been profoundly impacted by the culture regarding sexuality. But it is God's call upon our lives, and I want to tell you why, so that people can go into marriage sexually pure. This isn't prudishness. This is just plain smart. Sexually pure. Hebrews 13 verse 4 is a really interesting verse. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. 
Uh, one thing you're going to notice, and we're going to deal with it next week, because it's all, also in the Ephesians 5 passage, that so, so often when God speaks about sexual purity and sexual sin, he also talks about judging those who aren't sexually pure. And I want you to come back and hear about that, because it's really, really important that we understand it, and we understand it in context, and understand it truly for what it's saying. But it says, marriage should be honored by whom? Everybody. By all. And that the marriage bed is to be kept pure. And what I want to suggest is this, to those who are dating, those who are young and single, those maybe who are divorced and looking forward maybe to another marriage, while dating prior to marriage, do everything in your power to keep the marriage bed pure so that you can go into marriage without having, you know, given yourself away several times. You know, that's what we call it when, when, when we talk about having sex with somebody. We, we are giving ourselves to that person. And it's speaking to a very real dynamic that when we bond with another person, we give part of our, ourselves to that person. And what we can do is to, to do all in our power to honor our future husband or our future wife by waiting for them so that we can fully and freely bond with them in the way of God's intention, in a way that is right and that is good and that is beautiful. In the way that God desires for us. No memories of other people and other experiences. No comparisons with other folks. No distrust because of the woundedness that we've experienced. You know, I understand the youth group the other night, uh, the high school youth group, was, uh, John was speaking on this, and they did a, a particular exercise. And John got out his duct tape, and he said, uh, you know, the idea of bonding is like being glued together. Very literally in the Old Testament, that's, that's what's referred to as this bonding, connecting deeply adhered connection that happens in sexuality and he said who wants to volunteer for this this little demonstration and one guy i guess rolled up his sleeve and john put duct tape on his arm somebody else put duct tape on their leg he said we're just going to now remove the duct tape <laughs> and he took it and he just yanked it off and of course all the hair came and the apparently the young guy who was it anybody here wanting to Michael Bragdon, thank you, courageous young guy, and I'm sure he was screaming and yelling for five to ten minutes, I don't know, but it was painful, and it's illustrating that when the bonding happened and the, te the tearing comes when it, with a breakup, whether it's in a dating scenario or even in a divorce, it hurts, it hurts after the bonding has been formed, and then with several pieces of tape, of course, there's all kinds of hair and probably skin on it, <laughs> who knows what, and then John tried to stick the two pieces of used tape together, and they didn't bond very well. Understand that? And God comes along in his absolute love for us. And he said, I want you to move into that marriage relationship. And I want you to keep yourself so that the marriage can be honored. And so that the marriage bed can be kept pure even prior to the marriage. So that when you come together in the will and in, in the guidance and in the intention of God, a bond will form that will be deep and profound. It will be that marriage, that relationship will be everything that, that, it, that it can be. I've designed you this way, and I want you to know the best, because I love you. So some people come along and say, Chris, you're being unrealistic here. You know, teenagers and adults uh, who are single, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're mature or maturing sexually, and hormonal activity is powerful, and, you know, even to talk in such fashion is to suggest the repression of sexuality and so forth and the bible says that is faulty thinking and it's dead wrong um and what it says if we can go back to ephesians 5 3 is in, instead of getting into immorality porneo or impurity or in greed it says because um 
sorry, next verse, verse 4. None of these things, but rather give thanks to God. <laughs> Instead of all of that, give thanks to God. You know, it's possible in a scenario such as this for people to stand back and say, you know what, um, I really wish I could have what I want. And I'm really bugged that God's restricting me from fun and keeping me from all the things that I hear about my friends doing and kind of be negative. Why is thankfulness thrown in here as opposed to all the sexual sinful behavior just described both in body and in mind and in heart and in speech? Well, how about this idea? We give thanks to God for who God has made me to be, a sexual being. He has wired me for this bonding experience which is yet to come. Thank you, God. And thank you, God, that you have a relationship in my future which will be right and it will be good and it will be the one that you have chosen for me. And you are going to lead me into that relationship with that individual. And then you are, and I'm going to add this in significantly, you are going to enable me and you have enabled me to be able to live in the wheelbarrow, live faithfully before you, obediently before you, in order that I might get there and have all the benefits that you have designed me for. A few verses later, Ephesians 5 Verse 18 says this. It's in the same, same passage, right? It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And that's more of the same sexual sin. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. People stand back and say, Chris, young people can't do that. I mean, they're just wired for sexuality. We ought to just liberate them and, and, and give them the freedom to act and, and put safeguards in place and all those things physically. And God says, you're thinking wrong thoughts. Because you're not thinking my thoughts. And he comes along and he says, I will give you my spirit and you can be filled with my spirit and then I will enable you, I will empower you to do exactly the thing that I call you to do. Let's flip over to Galatians 5 if, if you have your Bibles open. Galatians 5 verse 16 and 17 says this. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, I don't know who's here today, but anybody who wishes to live a holy life ought to dwell on that verse for a long, long time if you're struggling to do so. The solution to living a holy life according to the will of God is to live by the Spirit. And then this promise comes, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's absolutely clear. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. You understand this? The world says, you know, it's ridiculous. Kids can't restrain themselves. It's natural. They should go ahead and express themselves. They should do what they feel like doing. That's a good, we are now told. And other people who are older and single as well. God comes along and says, says there is another way. Empowered by my Spirit, instead of acting out in ways that are, that are contrary to who you are and to my will, you can find life and you can be empowered to do what I'm calling you to do. Look at verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And we don't need to go on any further. That says it all right there. That's how things tend to work without God. But look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Walking in love. Self-sacrificial love like Jesus lived. You know, being imitators of God in love. And then joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. An evidence of the 
presence of Christ in us by his spirit. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. My friends, I want to tell you this. If you do not think it's possible to live a holy life, a godly life in the sexual realm, you have never known the power and the enablement of God's spirit in your life. It is real. It is powerful and it enables a person to do exactly what god calls them to do and to do it with joy the bottom line here basically is this that god has established boundaries out of love a deep commitment to his people he calls on us and he says there's another way and he calls us to live within those boundaries when we exceed them we do harm to ourselves and to our relationships when we live within them we find life and we are called to trust God in this. He said, if you will trust me, if you will obey me, if you will receive and accept my direction, you will be deeply, deeply blessed. Essentially, his plan is to leave sexual activity alone until you meet that person and are led to that individual with whom you will uh, join into the covenant relationship of marriage and there enjoy the physical bonding that God has created you for. You know, we started with this uh, triangle. Uh, we've used it over the couple of weeks. And basically, the foundational concept of the triangle is, uh, you know, and, and the progression in relationship is from bottom to top, if you haven't been here before. But start with the spiritual. Figure out God's mind. Understand his thinking. Understand his call on our lives. Understand his commandments in our lives. Figure that all out. Embrace it. And move into this relationship according to the will and the way of God. For two weeks, we've talked about the will and the way of God. The imitators of God walk in love, live sacrificially. Even if it means sacrificing at the moment what you really might want. And then, as you, get, you meet somebody, get to know the person. <laughs> and then enter into their broader social circle and they into yours. So much so that as you go in, those, in, in that trajectory moving toward the, the pinnacle... Uh, you're praying and you're seeking God and you're using your mind and you're discerning his will and he's bringing to you to a place where, he's, where he is saying, someday, yeah, this, this is very possibly the one for you. And as that is revealed to you and as you're making wise and godly and spirit-led decisions, you start to, you know, let your heart go toward the individual, but not too quickly. And ultimately, you come to this place of marriage and there's the physical union there's the, uh, the, the, the consummation of the marriage relationship. And if, as you go through this journey, there is to be some progression of physical activity, can I suggest this to you? And this is going to be bizarre to many of you, I would think, again. But can I say, if you're going to um, move toward the physical um, experience of sexuality in marriage, but enter into some physical uh, contact as you go, can, can you talk about it together as a couple? And can you pray about it? And seek the leading and the guidance of God. And can you do exactly what God tells you to do? <laughs> a lot of people go, oh, you want me to pray about that? Yeah, I want you to pray about that. And more than that, what the Bible would suggest is not only do you pray about it, but you do exactly what God tells you to do in a way that will honor him and glorify him. And live in obedience and in consistency with everything that's been described here and otherwise. You know, I've married people who choose to have no physical expression in their relationship until they marry none i've married people i stand right about here i kind of get centered on the aisle and a couple center themselves on me and 
the first kiss that some couples have had as they marry is the kiss they have in the presence of God in their wedding day. And the world would stand back and think, that's bizarre. Like, that's craziness. Like, I want to tell you, the people who have chosen to do that, in my knowledge, feel, feel it's the absolute best thing they've ever done in their lives. And God has blessed and God has nurtured and God has given them this relationship, this bonding, this trust, this intimacy that is a beautiful and a wonderful thing. Now, I'm not prescribing that for everyone here. I don't think it's for me to do. I'm just saying I think the progression physically ought to be really slow, careful, thoughtful, prayerful, God-honoring, and nothing more as you move toward marriage itself. Um, two verses to wind down. Number one, Romans 12, verse 2. Very significant verse for me. Um, I, don't think, I don't think we have that one, come to think of it, but I'll, I'll read it to you. I know it off by heart. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Honestly, how many people trust, here, trust God enough here to literally say, Lord, I want to know your good, your pleasing, and your perfect will for my dating life and for my sexuality? I mean, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Why on earth do Christian people conform to the pattern of this world regarding dating when we're so often concerned to not do it otherwise? Why do we do it? I think the Bible comes along and says you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to get the thoughts of God into your mind so that you can actually think differently about this and understand a wisdom that you might not have on your own so that God and his love and his grace and his goodness can pour a different understanding and therefore a different way into your life so that ultimately you can end up being incredibly blessed. Incredibly blessed. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, says this and 20. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. God's speaking to his people, the Israelites, and he's saying, yeah, here's your choice. And really what your choice is between life, you know, the way that I have for you, the the hope that I have for you out of love and out of understanding that's beyond what you have. Choose this way and you'll know, know life. You'll choose, or you can choose death. You can choose incredible blessing or you can choose curse. And then God says, now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Who here wants to hold fast to a God of love, of goodness, of grace, of wisdom, of truth? For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God wants to bless his people. You know, it's an absolutely amazing thing that we who are very human beings, who have faulty thinking because of sin entering in in the fall, and we were corrupted in mentally and spiritually in our will, our desires, all, and in every way, and we don't get it. We don't, we don't understand the way that we could understand God and his mind. But God comes to us and he gives us a spirit and he inspires an incredible book. And he says, if you want to know my mind, if you want to know incredible blessing, just listen to me. 
my friends, my hope and my prayer is that every person here will understand not only how different God's thoughts are, but how good and how right they are. And that you will trust him and find the blessing that God has for you in this area. Let's pray. Lord, um, sometimes we don't even know it. Uh, instead of celebrating and being thankful for your commands to us, we, we complain about them and we, uh, <laughs> we struggle against them. But God, we are incredibly blessed people because the God of the universe, the creator God, the God of, 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 of all knowledge and all wisdom comes to us and he says, here is my mind regarding sexuality. And God, we can gratify the desires of the flesh we can be controlled by the Spirit and understand your thoughts, be empowered to be able to live these things out. God, I pray for every single person here, um, just praying that you would reveal to them your heart and your mind, the love that you have for them and the wisdom that you now speak into our lives. God, I pray that we can be holy people in the realm of sexuality. I pray that this church can be a church which is holy before you regarding sexuality. Lord, where we need to be led to repentance, we pray that you'll lead us there to confession and to turning away from what is contrary to your will and contrary to who we are in Christ. And God, I pray that you will empower us by your spirit, that you will fill us with your spirit, all of us here, that we can embrace the, the leading of God that we can even find joy in self-control and self-sacrifice and in self-denial because we know these things are the way to life in Jesus. God, come. Do your work in us. Call us forward. Help us to see and understand the promise and help us get committed in how we are living that the promise might unfold in each of us. Father, these things we pray in Jesus' name.